Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome back. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio podcast. We've got part two of our schedule breakdown and offensive preview. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to our last episode. I think we had some great stuff breaking down the Arizona Cardinals schedule. Uh, John, I think that we had overall was uh, basically we saw this as uh, about a 5-11, and 11, a 6-10 and 10 team. I know I counted at least four for sure wins the team can kind of catch fire and have like a seven and nine or a similar to the Brown seven, eight, one season. I think most fans will be satisfied with that. It's that early stretch of games against the, uh, the lions, the Ravens, the Panthers, Seahawks, all the way up to the Bengals game, I think is their best opportunity to get some wins for that season. You agree? Yeah, I, I think that they have a uh, more favorable schedule than they had a year ago. And that's what happens when you have a last play schedule. But yeah. I, I, there are only like maybe five games where I'm like, those could get really ugly quickly. But outside of that, I think they're going to be competitive. I think Kingsbury is going to keep a lot on the wraps. I don't think they're going to show too much offensively in the preseason. And I think that they could be maybe a thorn in some team sides. Uh, because when you have the explosiveness of Murray from a run pass standpoint, and again, my biggest concern with him is durability long-term. Um, I think he, there's a good chance he pops year one. You talk about the ascension of Christian Kirk. If they add a couple quality skilled players, God, please let us develop an offensive lineman or two. Yep. Um, the Cardinals could be kind of a sneaky fun team next year. Uh, I think that's what they're hoping for while instilling like that offensive philosophy that they, they can, carry forward but uh the cardinals were just so inept offensively last year it led to so many blowouts and i just don't see that happening this year so i i don't mind their schedule it's fine it is what it is um you know doing the win-loss thing is is fun but at the end of the day like most of the time the nfl flips over year to year and, and some team goes from worst to first so it's a great part about the nfl Yep, no, it's great about the NFL, at least for that one. So we'll get a little bit more into just some of the Kyler Murray talking debate at the end of our show. So if you're tuning in just for the offensive prospects and you're still holding out, we talked and addressed a little bit of just there's the, the tension within the fan base, at least. For that. Don't worry, we'll, we'll make sure this is a safe space to talk about. Everyone's so. upset, Blake. I know, I know. It's a, it's a, Everyone's upset for that, and I understand. Everyone's upset over one thing or other, upset at someone else for that. I even think I wrote an article about, like, those kind of factions that have been forming where the, sat, the satisfaction is the ones who kind of are in the same spot as you, John, where it's like they're taking – Kyler Murray and I'm kind of upset about it. And that's please stop yelling at us online. We we do not work for the Cardinals. We're not Cardinal shills. We're not shilling for the team. We are trying to be honest and and upfront with everybody. Like this is what's happening. It's time to move forward. Um, but I can understand. I totally get your frustration. I'm frustrated, but I'm I'm persevering, Blake. So we can talk about yep. second tier yeah. offensive prospects tonight. 
Yeah, definitely. We've talked plenty enough about number one for that one. If, if, if something changes in the Cardinals trade back, maybe you could talk about like a tackle or a DK Metcalf or someone, but we're going to operate out of the idea, at least that they're going to be taking Marie at one. I think it's too much to talk about as far as for getting into the speculation, as far as for the other prospects that are there for the most part. I think that we should jump into where the, the real intrigue for the draft starts with the 33rd pick. So let's go ahead and start with the trenches and the offensive line. Let's take a look at the offensive line prospects. Some of the guys that we would look at around in the 33rd pick and kind of go position by position. The biggest thing that stood out to me, at least, is we'll kind of break down. We'll start off with the three players, at least. I know the uh, Cardinals, one of the guys who we, you know, we, we hear a lot from him, whether the sources that are inside what the Cardinals say, there's been times that we've had, you know, I, I think that I, you and I, John, we struck back to that 2017 year, the first year we ran this podcast. A lot of the hype was built around Deshaun Kaiser when really obviously Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were probably the guys that the Cardinals were more likely considering at quarterback and hoping that one of them would fall to 13. So there's track records, at least of things that can be or can't be said, but the three players that uh, the one John Gambadoro spoke out about, we can at least cover were three offensive linemen and Cody Ford, uh, offensive tackle who he interestingly enough talked about as a left guard he's uh, one of the guys who protected Kyler Murray a guy that I think the Cardinals really wanted to go and visit and check out when they went and visited Murray in Oklahoma as well you got Chris Lindstrom kind of the consensus first round guard he, he tested out more athletic than I expected at the combine this year and then kind of the most people's number one overall center Garrett Bradbury for that one there's one other player who I think I've mentioned in the past that I think that the Cardinals at least I've heard that there may be some connection to and that's the the offensive center, Eric McCoy, from Texas A&M, you're like, well, they've got Mason Cole. True, but Cole last year, I mean, the first game you saw Cole, you were like, wow, this guy, in the first two games, you were like, this guy might be like their future of the center. Then you saw games three through week 17, and it's like, okay, this it's not that he's bad. Like, he played position, manned it, the snaps weren't as consistent. I think that was one of the things I do remember was, you know, there were some snaps that were kind of a struggle at times for Josh Rosen or out of place for the most part. McCoy is a guy who's been a center for multiple years for Texas A&M, comes out of a spread and shotgun offense. And if you take a look at the three games that he played last year, in which he probably had his best games of the year last year, were also the worst games for one Jeffrey Simmons, for one Quinn Williams. And then I believe it was also for, there was another one of their um, top uh, top defensive linemen, at least that they had, at least for him overall in the year in the SEC. So Aaron McCoy is a guy who, if he steps in, he might be your starting center. You can slide. Um, you can go ahead and slide your current center and Mason Cole over to a, either a backup or to one of those guard positions, at least. You know, you've got Jarrah Sweezy, you know, you've got Justin Pugh. Pugh's not been able to stay healthy, and uh, Sweezy at least has struggled last year. So I would be very, very interested at least to see if that's the case for the Cardinals. And the fact that he wasn't mentioned makes me kind of wonder if that's part of the reason why he wasn't mentioned is that he might be the guy the Cardinals are hoping will fall to that 33rd pick. John, uh, let's talk about what are some of the other offensive linemen you talk about as far as for the guys maybe you think that could be there whether it's a guard or a tackle building the interior or the exterior what would be some of the players you'd look at and what would be your approach yeah we've talked about this pretty consistently Blake when you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray okay again we're assuming they take Murray at one I think it's more important to address the interior offensive line I, I think the Cardinals are capable at the ta both tackle positions Marcus Gilbert has a chance to be a, a really nice addition for this team um, DJ Humphreys, he is what it is. He's an inconsistent player who, who's injury prone, but he's, when he's on the field, generally doesn't embarrass himself. And I think with Murray's athletic ability, I think both of their, both of their plays could be heightened this year. Um, interior is where the Cardinals really struggle from both a pass protection and a run blocking scheme. Um, 
based on just their personnel being below average. Talk about Justin Pugh, who was underperformed, who was overpaid at the time of signing it. The Cardinals could walk away theoretically after this year. All three positions could very well be upgraded. Uh, I think they're going to pencil in Pugh for now. Um, Cole, like you mentioned, uh, I think everybody wants to see him take that next step. Talk about the offseason conditioning program, putting on additional mass muscle. Probably was a little bit in over his head this past season. But again, was Mr. Ironman at University of Michigan, played every position on the offensive line. Somebody I think everybody wants to see succeed. But if there's a superior player, there's a superior player. And then you just mentioned it, Blake. Right guard is, is wide open on this team right now. J.R. Sweezy is an average to below average player. He's a replacement level player that I think could be a capable backup, but certainly not somebody you want starting 16 games for you. Mm-hmm. With that being said, let's go through this, some of the scenarios because I really like Cody Ford. I know the team really likes Cody Ford. Yep. It's not realistic. Cody Ford right now is getting top 10 mentions, which I don't <laughs> think is, it matches, high, his play. Yeah, matches his play consistently. Let's say the Cardinals are able to get pick 15 for Kyler or for Josh Rosen, either in a sweat straight up for Josh Rosen or tr- I've seen the Bill Barnwell had a really good article about Cardinals potentially trading Josh Rosen in pick 33 for pick 15 in Case Keenum, which is about the equivalent of pick 43. So let's do that scenario real quick. If, they, if they're able to somehow nab pick 15, uh, Cody Ford is somebody I think would immediately come into play there, be able to play him. Absolutely, either left or right tackle. I think you want to play him in into your offensive line, have him dominate. I have no problem sliding him in as your starting right guard in week week one. I think Andre Dillard is in that category as well, somebody who I expect to go top 20. He he is slowly becoming probably my favorite offensive tackle. I'm not a huge Jawan Taylor fan. Maybe I'm allergic to tackles from Florida at this point, Blake, after (laughs) what we've gone through with DJ Humphreys. That are more based on potential. Oh, than, got, than we got Marcus Gilbert too. So I don't yeah, know. well, that's that, I, I should be. Yeah, I should be um, I mean, fair to Marcus. But um, between Andre Dillard or Cody Ford, I think both of them are going to go somewhere but between the teens, somewhere between pick maybe 10, 11, and you know nineteen, twenty. Uh, I think both are very capable players to come in and play right away. The difference is, I think traditionally. Uh, Andre Dillard is your quintessential left tackle, somebody who is incredibly polished, came from uh, a non-traditional power in Washington State. If you're able to succeed, especially with the strong front sevens in the in the Pac-12, uh, I'm impressed with his play. Those are two players I would target immediately in the middle of the first round. Jordan Williams I would throw in that category as well. But, uh, again, I think most everybody is in the consensus that probably he's going to have to play either right tackle or interior offensive lineman. So you could probably group him in, into that group as well. But he'd probably be my third uh, interior or out or offensive lineman in general that I would go with um, at pick 15. If we're moving a little bit further down, you know, Bradbury, like you mentioned, very, very solid player. I have a first-round grade on him as well. Um, we talk about – Chris Lindstrom is best case scenario, I think, for the Cardinals to pick 33. If they stay at pick 33, if they take Kyler Murray, I see no scenario in which he's available at pick 33. But then again, I didn't think Will Hernandez would fall to the Giants at the yeah, top of the second true. last year. And so we saw a couple. The, the, the weird thing is about interior offensive linemen, it's, it's sometimes it's not about who's the best prospect is, who, who can best fit your scheme, um, zone power, zone, zone run, zone blocking scheme versus traditional power, spread offense. That stuff comes into play. Or is it for me, I, you know, just take the best football player mm-hmm. and have him fit your scheme around him. But with offensive linemen, specifically interior guys, uh, we saw that last year. I know that offensive tackle, the, the, the 49ers traded Trent Brown because he didn't fit uh, zone passing scheme of Kyle Shanahan. And they took Michael Galinchian. 
ended up being a great trade for them. They get Lynchy on a cheap five-year deal. Brown excelled with the Patriots, got paid, overpaid uh, this offseason. McGlinchey's probably one of the best young right tackles in football. So the Cardinals are going to be in a position, I think, to get a very nice interior offensive lineman. Um, you know, we were, we were high on, on Yandy Kajest from West Virginia, but uh, his offseason – Injury and surgery is probably going to bump him either the latter half of day two or even early day three. I've seen it. Uh, and, and Steve Kime is not in a position, I think, to be able to take those players on day two. He needs plug-and-play guys. So another guy I like. I like Greg Little, uh, Old Miss. Um, generally, Old Miss players scare me at this point. But at the same yeah. time, uh, the, the value that you would be getting, I think if you could get Greg Little in the second round with the Rosen pick in the 40s, again, this is all speculation if the Cardinals get – Washington second rounder or whomever if you can get a player like Greg Little in the middle of the second round with your second second if that makes sense uh, I think okay, okay, okay. I think you're in a in a really good spot but the more I'm hearing Blake about the state of the wide receivers and the fact that and we'll touch on the wide receivers the, t- the fact that the receivers are being pushed out of the first round entirely outside of maybe DK DK Metcalf that means if you're going to go offensive line, you're probably going to need to do it with pick 33 rather than to wait and, yeah. and take one later. Because I think they're going to be just—I think they're going to be better options at receiver than offensive line later in uh, the second round. So uh, I would be totally fine with with a Bradbury or a Little or a Lindstrom. God forbid if he were to fall. I like Caleb McGarry too out of Washington. I, I like the Pac-12 offensive linemen because historically they they do they do pretty well in, in the league. They hold up well. Yeah. They're, they're, they're well coached. They run a lot of um, uh, pro concepts in the Pac-12. So I'm, I'm higher on some of those guys. Um, Titus Howard, Alabama State. Um, not sure how you feel about him, Blake. He is everybody's small school darling this year on the offensive line. He's got all the physical me- measurables. I think I have him as my ninth offensive tackle, but he's still a top 50 prospect, which just shows you how, how deep uh, I think the offensive line is. Maybe not so much the, the top half of the first round. There's not that quintessential like this guy's going top five. There's not there's not you know Quentin Nelson in this class. There's not you know uh, Dallas's left tackle. You know uh, what's his name? The um, oh you're talking about Tyron Smith. Yeah, yeah Tyron yeah, Smith. Tyron. There's not there's not a player like that where it's like oh goodness he's a he's a can't miss player. But I think the depth on the offensive line is like there's going to be a lot of really good you know eight to ten year starters out of this group. Uh, a couple of them are going to make a couple of Pro Bowls. And the Cardinals need that. The Cardinals need continuity on the offensive line. They need guys who, who are staying out of the training room that won't embarrass themselves, that are going to play 15, 16 games every year and develop continuity. We do not need to see instant you know, gratification via Pro Bowls or all pros or whatever. They just need some kind of stability up front. And, boy, it would be great to be able to pair. Let's say that Mason Cole is their center, and you can get a really good right guard or a really good left tackle in this draft. And suddenly – got a little bit of continuity and then you can invest more next off season and next free agency and next next year's draft and and so that's how the Colts have done it mm-hmm. that's how the good teams do it so the Cardinals need to I believe need to invest at least two picks on the offensive line between uh rounds two and four Blake yeah, I would love that if they'd be able to address a lot of those positions. Um, there's some other sleeper guys. Like I know that Max Sharping is kind of another small school darling. A lot of people have at least as far as the prototypical size. You kind of hope that he's not going to be in the kind of same category as like a Will Holden, at least if he goes later. But for me, I think, and this is kind of the conclusion I've come to, is I think my top two picks, like I love Lindstrom at least overall for where he is. I think he's the one kind of sure first rounder who will probably be 
off the board by that point. We'll have to see. But I feel like I'm in the spot of if you end up taking and want to work on trying to find guys who fit you and your identity and your personnel, that means that you're going to be wanting a player who ultimately has experience in not a pro-style scheme, but experience in the air raid with a lot of shotgun, with being able to make the snaps, and someone who's able to kind of prevent. And I think what I would do at least is you've got a player like Kyler Murray. I think you can get by with tackles because what the air raid does is it pushes a lot of the edge rushers up the field further where they have to do a lot more to move around and then you can take advantage of those with the quick passing attacks where what you really need honestly is to not get interior penetration up front Kyler can obviously run to the side and extend plays but if you get enough of that interior penetration where it has to alter the throws and the throwing angles we saw that with Rosen last year where he would just get guys on him like that I would at least say if you want to start and build by taking a guy like McCoy or even a Bradbury, start and build at the center position. You already know at least that Cole's going to be a healthy guy for you. See if you can move him into a guard. I know I hate to move another player out of a position at least, but because he played multiple spots on the offensive line for Michigan, it's not like you're looking at a Brandon Williams who played running back for years and you're trying to convert him to corner. Uh, hopefully it doesn't mean that it's a disappointment, obviously, for Steve Kine, but I would at least start with that up front and build up the interior of my no, offensive line. No problem line. with that. No problem and with if that. if you're going to say, hey, Hey, we will let DJ Humphreys walk. Marcus Gilbert's gone. Fantastic. Bring in two tackles. And if you can get to the spot where you're an NFL team that can not necessarily need to have, because with Josh Rosen, you need to have like elite high level tackles because guys are coming at him off the edge, just hitting him blindside. And he's not able to run or sense the pressure and get away with Kyler. I would say build that offensive line up front. And the second thing is with how Kit Cliff ran, he doesn't run a zone scheme as much. So maybe they would like McCoy over a guy like Bradbury, who McCoy is a zone guy with his own reads. They like to run a lot more power, especially, because then you'd even be able to have a running quarterback if you're opening up a lane for Kyler in the red zone especially or if it's a spot like a delayed handoff and a draw where you're able to you know hey we're taking advantage of this team that's blitzing us off the edge we'll run Kyler off to the right I would at least say that you know maybe a sender would be my preference even over another guard because if you're talking about getting a great blocking guard like Lindstrom and you're still average at center and your guy is used to a pro scheme and not as many because that was the one area I know that was pointed out was Mason Cole did fine last year with snapping the football, but he struggled the most with snap shotgun snaps, both of the senior bowl and during the season. So I think that's not ideal for Cliff Kingsbury. That's not ideal for Cliff Kingsbury at all because, you know, he's not, he's going to say, who hey, was under center? I think he was even Jess Root, the Cards Wire uh, guy who runs that site. He even joked and it was like, who's under center for the Cardinals? He said, well, no one's under center for the Cardinals. They'll be out of shotgun <laughs> no matter what. And that was like one of like the great kind of insights as to at least one thing we'll know about Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Um, that's kind of, I think, for the offensive line. As far as tackles, if, uh, I think originally if we'd been keeping Josh Rosen, this would have been the perfect spot for the Cardinals. I think you're right to grab a little to be able to grab a tackle, even because you see Wade talked about. Now I think you don't shift it too much. You still want to grab that offensive lineman. As far as for some of the guys who are going to be later in the NFL draft that you'd look at, I, I would agree. I would double dip on interior offensive linemen at least. Yep. Take a look at that. Uh, if you can bring in one of those guys from a small school, I would still say if, if Cunningham can show up, then you know you're gold. But even still, to look at a guy like a Caleb McGarry, at least like you talked about, I know that you really like a lot of those offensive tackles for that one. As far as looking at another guard who I would look at later in the hole, let me pull up the um, – I got to pull up the name at least here that I had for this one. Um, the – I wonder – it's on the tip of my tongue, but I'll find it. Just here, I'll fill in one while you look for yeah, it. I like, for it. I, I'm, I'm, a, it. I'm a big Michael Jordan fan from Ohio State. I brought him up before. Multiple-year starter. Kind of gets overlooked on a loaded Ohio State team. Um, did a phenomenal job this past season blocking in front of Dwayne Haskins. 
somebody who is ready-made for the NFL. You, you look at this guy, I've got him, I think, it, as a top 100 prospect, so you're probably going to have to, you can maybe get him at the top around four, but more than likely, I think he's going to go late day three. Um, he's somebody, to me, that is is an immediate starter in the NFL, may never blow your socks off, but it's just a very solid player, somebody who I think the Cardinals could come in if they, let's say they take a guard at the top of the second round, they get a wide out, and then they're in a position to take Jordan later in, on day three, you know, position, he could be basically your Justin Pugh insurance, right? If, if Pugh lacks, or if you take a center, and Mason Cole competes with, with Michael Jordan, I mean, he's somebody, I want competition on the O-line. I don't want anybody to feel like their position is safe. Uh, from from top to bottom, I want a lot of bodies at the position. I like the Cardinals have gone out and signed a couple AFA, excuse me, AFA, yeah, American Alliance of Football yep. players, guys who, who I, I apologize, I don't I don't know them off the top of my head, but they're trying to flood that that room, and and Kime knows that it's a priority. That sure, Kyle Murray's people have been on the Cardinals saying, I'm not going to have my client get killed like Rosen did last year, like shape up your offensive line. And Benjamin Albright has even gone out and said. He thinks the Cardinals are going to go so heavy on offense on the first two days yeah. and they're going to supplement, which I agree with. I, I love this strategy, supplement defense in free agency and probably day three of the draft. And that's not to say they'll ignore defense, but goodness, when you were that inept and, and horrendous to watch offensively like last year, uh, why not just throw all your eggs in that basket, especially with your first year offensive minded head coach? Yeah, I would agree. And then the, I found the names, at least I had to get all four of them that I had as far as options for that one. So we know at least that the big names that we hired, Drew Samia, who is at Oklahoma, is probably tested higher athletically, but he's a guy that you could look at. He was an Oklahoma guard. The other Oklahoma guard, you want to look at Ben Powers for Oklahoma. The best thing I could think of as far as a comp when I looked up, at least for the most part, um, was being able to look at a guy for uh, with the Cardinals. Oh gosh, no! So now, of course, the name at least escapes me for the most part. But uh, during their 2015 season, at least for the most part, they ended up having a huge need for the most part at their. Uh, I'm sorry. Trying to pull up this roster here real quick for the most part here, uh, but being able to look at at least the guys who were in a depth, kind of a, a backup, not having the most athleticism, but just being able to fill in, kind of like the J.R. Sweezy type of a player for the most part. And the comp that I had was with Ted Larson, with a, a guy like Ben Powers where you can have a guy who fills in, he's going to be a starter for a team for a long time for the most part, doesn't go high in the draft, but it's still going to be solid for the most part. I would at least think that he would be a guy you could look at. There's already familiarity with Murray and the exact same type of blocking scheme that you ran at Oklahoma. Uh, there was such a solid offensive line that they had last year. And then two of the Wisconsin guards, Michael Dieter's probably going to go on an interesting range. I think he goes day two after the Cardinals, at least they're picking maybe middle of day two as an option for the most part. I think that he could play guard more than right tackle. And then Bo Benchway, uh, Bo Benchwell, Benchwell, I think that's how you pronounce it, at least. That's I, good I, just, I just called him Bo for the most part, just because it's like some of these last names. Another one, Wisconsin player for that too. So when you're looking at two Oklahoma guys, two Wisconsin guys, they both run power schemes and they both also, the Oklahoma especially, have familiarity with a lot of the standing up and the air raid offense. So either way, you're at least building around that power run and that zone, or power, excuse me, lack of zone, a power run and air raid style and it's not specifically pure air raid but you know the, the cliffs creek whatever you want to call it you're at least yeah. building around that identity and building up the interior i would think those would be two guys that i would look at on the offensive line as well all right let's move ahead and move back just a little bit further john we don't have to touch too much at least i don't think there's as much you'd talk about with the 
quarterbacks, really. I think most of what the Cardinals are going to look at will be guys who they have relationships and know. So I don't think we even need to worry. I mean, the Cardinals drafting, you know, a quarterback would honestly shock both you and me, I think, uh, especially if, you know, you think of the Cardinals, if they're spending a draft pick on a quarterback, it'd be more likely for Case Keenum if they were going to bring him in to have a veteran who's familiar. You're talking with outside of Murray, Murray, correct? Oh, yeah, outside of Murray. Like, we're talking about, like, you know, the outside of Murray, obviously. For that, It was just interesting with the, the skins and with Kirk Cousins and all of that. I've seen some Cardinals fans have been worried enough about with Murray and health that they've almost like wanted to keep Rosen around in case it became one of those Kirk Cousins situations. Let's talk at least a bit about the running backs because I'm in a specific interesting spot of I'm not sure if Cliff's going to come in and take a look at the running backs room and say, yeah, David Johnson, he's the guy we're going to build on. We, we know that. I'm not sure if they're going to look and see the exact same type of fit as they did because it was a totally different regime and a staff that uh, – drafted David Johnson's backup last year overall so that's where I'm curious at least John if there's any running backs who stand out I know we're looking more at a kind of a power gap scheme or maybe this is kind of the year where you know you've got your two guys you can see a lot of the things that we wanted to with the two running back sets at least from the 2018 Cardinals that we wanted and really didn't see overall that much at least so I'm, I'm curious at least do you think the Arizona Cardinals at least next year are going to be um, focusing more on the passing game to the point where they're not going to be needing to have, you know, a lot of backups, or is this going to be a spot where we'll start to see DJ Foster get more involved? The Cardinals did at least re-sign him at the position. Are you going to end up seeing um, more of just their uh, their running game with David Johnson being there? And then, oh gosh, sorry, the name just totally at least um, Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds. I was thinking at least for that one. For it was like a weird last name. It's not Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds for that one. Do you think that the Cardinals are set at running back? Is there an opportunity opportunity for them to draft someone here? If I if they take a running back with a with a premium pick, I I'm going to throw up all over myself, and it's going to be one of the saddest occurrences that I can remember since the Cardinals took Ryan Williams in the second round. If they take a running back, I I'm going to absolutely lose my mind. This team, with the investment they've made in David Johnson, with all the other needs they have, if they take a running back, I will be stunned and I will be immensely disappointed and upset. Um, I think I was at the Packer game last year, kind of Chase Edmonds coming out party. He's a quality NFL running back. With the amount of or the lack of holes that the Cardinals offensive line provided, he got to the edge. He scored both their touchdowns. He's a capable receiver. David Johnson looks phenomenal this offseason. All the high, or excuse me, the highlights, the, all the mm-hmm. all the uh, the clips I've seen from him in the weight room, like he's poised to have. We've talked about it on Twitter, Blake. I think I think it's almost a sure thing that he's going to be a top five fantasy back this year, assuming he stays healthy. For all of you that follow us yeah. for fantasy advice, he was like the tenth fantasy back last year. They were horrific offensively. So if they take a running back, I will be disgusted. Um, with that being said. I like Devin, Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic mm. as somebody like a change of pace option. He's little. He, um, I think he's like five, six, five, seven. He's somebody like late day three. You want to throw out a pick at a running back and you want to have him be like your return man. Um, that's fine. Like I, I'm not going to love that, but I, it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. But man, if they spend like a top four, uh, four round pick on a, on a running back, it, I'm going to have problems coming back on this podcast and not, ripping them to shred so and it's a great year not to need a running back because this running back class is brutal outside of maybe josh jacobs as is the lone first first round running back so uh the cardinals have set at running back cliff if you're listening please god do not draft one steve um and we can move on because you have like 500 other needs that you need to address 
Yeah, definitely. I know that was what was interesting, at least for me, was the I like Singletary, too. His production is crazy. A thousand years in all three of the years that he started, at least at the small yeah, school. Player. And uh, as far as the biggest concern with him, obviously, would be carries just because he had like, you know, probably I think it was like 700 carries or so in college. So that's going to be the biggest concern. But a lot of people are saying like, hey, maybe he's the guy because of that small size. When you're talking about, you know, like he's 5'7", 200 and has 700 carries and was healthy for like all those different games. Like maybe this is like a the comp that I know Dane Brugler gave was a LaShawn McCoy-like. Maybe if that's the case and you're like, hey, you know, David Johnson's 27. He had a down year if you wanted to kind of hedge a bet. Still wouldn't spend a high pick on him. Um, I As far as with running backs in general, I love Daryl Henderson out of Memphis. At least the biggest thing that's interesting is, is that he's kind of a zone runner. So unless you're running a lot of zone, then he's probably not a guy who I think would be a great fit, even though I love him as a prospect. Um, Justice Hill is one that's interesting interesting just because he's kind of that running back to like he's the if you're talking about the Falcons running a two back system he'd be kind of like your you know ground and pound back for the most part at least um and he obviously is run in a He's run the ball probably the complementary weapon to DJ. I don't think that you would take him over a Chase Edmond. The one that's most intriguing to me that I would at least consider. Oh, sorry, I just I got sidetracked. I finally remember Dexter Lawrence was the was the third player who Eric McCoy shut down. All right, Lake <laughs> gone. Shifting back in, Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma. You're talking about the familiarity at least with Kyler Murray about as far as a great scheme fit for the most part. He's not maybe the most explosive player for the most part. He didn't even actually run the 40 yard dash at the combine. His knee was injured he falls due to injury and you're talking about a guy who maybe can help on special teams um potentially be like kind of a steal later like he might be a spot where you could find a, a potential nfl starter potentially later with him just because of he's a big back at six foot 224 pounds uh, obviously he's a guy who had a lot of great production just because of the injuries, it's kind of a concern. My guess is if you wanted to spend a pick on day three on a back, find a guy who would be a almost perfect fit with Cliff Kingsbury as far as a running back spot and then kind of let them have it out. He'd be the one back and say, all right, yep, you want to go and get Rodney Anderson? Perfect. Go at it for that one on day three. I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't think there's really that many other guys. There's an Ohio State back or Miles Gaskin. But really, this is a spot where I think with the inclusion of DJ Foster running a lot of the same plays, so many Arizona – high school athletes it seems like this year I think that you're probably going to be set for the most part at the position and then you add in maybe a day three pick or an undrafted free agent if one slips to that spot John um, and as far as fullback this year you'll have a power scheme it'll be curious if they're even going to run it I think I would lean obviously towards unless you're going to have a heavy Vance Joseph influence or a heavy influence from uh, running a fullback at least with um and all that coming from the Cardinals quarterback coach and uh, my, was it Clements at least for that one. I don't think you're going to have a fullback here because you're going to be talking about spreading teams out. It's going to be like the one running back, multiple wide receivers, and then having the two running back sets, at least for the most part, where you can run a lot of the mesh concepts and being able to run a lot of kind of those passing options, or even, Hey, we're running out with two running backs. All of a sudden motion shift. Hey, David Johnson's a wide receiver in the slot. Now you still have your running back in the backfield. Suddenly, boom, you are now in a full on, uh, you know, air raid type of four wide receiver offense, but with David Johnson as one of the wide receivers and you've got him matched up on a linebacker or matched up on a safety who we can run right through. So I, I honestly think that they would pass on most running backs in that situation. John, I think they would pass on most fullbacks as well. Let's move back a little bit more, but still staying kind of close to the line tight ends. There's a lot of them this year. There's a lot of good ones. There's one in particular. I think that the Cardinals would be lucky to grab. Let's go and talk about the tight ends, at least for that, John. 
I don't think that they're going to have a chance, at least at Hawkinson or at Fant, unless they're for some reason picking at 15. Let's talk a little bit about, about those high-end guys and then get into the day two guys who could be there at 33 or later. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good class. Uh, it's borderline special, especially when you consider the two, two tight ends from Iowa, which both have their strengths. Noah Fant specifically looks like he could be such a difference maker in the passing game. Uh, I'm sure the Cardinals would love to get their hands on him. I think he's going to go um, somewhere within picks 15 to maybe 25. Um, so, you know, theoretically, are the Cardinals going to be in a position to take one of these quality tight ends over, let's say, a starting receiver on the outside or an immediate impact star on the offensive line? Well, I'm, it's going to, it's basically going to, they're going to show their hand as to how they feel about the tight end position in Kingsbury's offense. They haven't oh, really yeah. talked about it at all. They claim Charles Clay. He's going to be a starter for them. You figure Ricky Seals-Jones, hopefully he's going to have his most productive year. And then I keep going back to the fact that, like, is Larry Fitzgerald going to be kind of a hybrid tight end receiver for, for them this year? Um, you know he's going to dominate the slot like he does, but, you know, if they add a receiver, does that push Kirk into the slot? I just, I just think that's an option that, that shouldn't be dismissed yet. Um, but I, I think if they use a pick on a tight end, I mean, like, Irv Smith Jr. Is, is somebody I think that was kind of grossly underused at the University of Alabama and I think could come in and be a really nice player for the Cardinals. I mean, like, think about the Cardinals and the, and the standards that have been set at the tight end position, or should I say haven't been set. Um, you know, if, if a player were to come in and give them five, 600 yards receiving at, at tight end, that, that would be huge for this franchise. And I think the bar is set so low, uh, along with the offensive line like we just talked about, any of these guys, you know, I've been high on, on Chase Stenberger for some time. Very, very athletic young man. Who I think his best football is in front of him. Incredibly raw. I think a lot of these guys that you're going to you're gonna look at outside of the two players from Iowa is that they've got a lot of raw attributes. I mean, we're, Iowa just, their program, we, we saw it with George Kill. They were, he was underutilized, but they're just so NFL ready. Um, and, and probably you could say the same thing about Irv Smith Jr., but a lot of these guys, it's like, do the Cardinals, do they have time to wait on somebody like Dawson Knox to come in and be a third-string tight end or a fourth-string tight end and play special teams? Like, if we're taking you high, like, we need to come in and you at least have to have a, a certain packages where, you know, you're capable and you can make plays and you can be a difference maker. So I, I think Irv is, is somebody. I think Chase is somebody. Um, those are two that I've liked from the start. Um, but you know, outside of that, I mean, if one of the two tight ends from Iowa were to fall, that would be a scenario where you would really have to look at pick 33 and say to yourself, this is clearly the best player on our board. Is it, is tight end the ultimate luxury position? Um, I also like the Michael Dieter, or excuse me, he's, he's on the offensive line, but there are a couple, there are a couple, um, quality players on, uh, late on day three that I think that could target, but it's it's kind of like the risk and reward because they've been burned so many times at the position they between uh, Troy Nicholas and uh, who's the guy that <clears throat> wasn't hunt drafted that was like would ran like the four or five before. Oh, any you're talking about the Rob Hausler. Uh, yeah, Rob Hausler one and, for Justin Houston. I'll go. Yeah, that's why I was so excited about Ricky Seals Jones. I'm like, oh, they finally got a tight end. They didn't have to invest any premium draft capital in them. He's an undrafted kid. He's probably like even regardless who they draft, he's going to be their most talented receiver, or excuse me, tight end on the roster next year, just because he's had an opportunity. He's got two NFL off seasons under his belt, knows the league. He's a starter from last year. He was underutilized. I think if if somebody's going to pop this year that nobody's really talking about, I think he's got a chance to. 
But again, I, I don't know how much they're going to utilize tight end. I, I, I listened to some local Cardinal, Cardinal media who, who had some inside knowledge today that said that, and we'll talk about this when we talk about receivers, that Kingsbury wants quick receivers, pass catchers that can get open, that can stretch the field. He's not super concerned about guys who are big and physical and can block. And, and unless you've got, you know, the quintessential Larry Fitzgerald in his prime, I mean, like, how much of a priority is a tight end going to be? I just I, – I could see Kingsbury much rather going four or five wide receivers on the field and just your, your traditional five offensive linemen than, than another wide out. But I, I could be totally wrong. I have no inside knowledge of this. I'm just trying to connect the dots because – Really, they've given us nothing to go off of. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know how often they use. He used tight ends at the University of Texas Tech. Uh, I just. I know that the receivers and the quarterbacks were super productive. And then you throw in the fact that David Johnson, outside of Kirk and Fitzgerald, is your most reliable pass catcher. I mean, there's only so many mouths to feed, especially when you assume they're going to add one or two receivers. So mm-hmm. I just. I have concerns about them adding the tight end in the top 50 picks. And then, like, how often is that? individual going to play I just did that just yeah. that's my biggest concern Blake yeah I think for me the one thing that gives me kind of at least some hope that there might be at least that taken high the first one is if you're running the ball a lot of times you kind of need to have at least a tight end at least present on the field in a power scheme although what they did in college maybe it's because of the hash marks maybe it's just because of the way that it works out that being able to have that it's also nice to have as a mismatch and a weapon the hope that I have at least is that when Cliff Kingsbury did have another uh, tight end named Jason Jason Morrow he was like one of the most productive tight ends that we've ever seen in the big 12 that's and right he was able to at least adapt and scheme his offense around by using him essentially as like you know uh in some cases like it was like it was a big wide receiver for that one so ironically enough it's the same guy named jace but i could see a guy like singletary or some other guys like meshing into that type of a role and then also being a red zone threat i think that that would be at least the best case scenario if the cardinals are going to draft a tight end it might be the you already have that position and spot on the field with a Ricky Seals Jones, I think he's more of like a tight end too, especially because I think that he's got a better athletic profile than a lot of other tight ends, but it's still not, it's not like it's uh, winning in multiple areas as far as with the way that it works. So I would at least say that if you're looking for a check down, a great option for all of that. And then maybe next year you kind of see if, Hey, you can grab the Oklahoma guy, at least um, in Calcaterra that Kyler at least worked with Kyler Murray. When you look at how Oklahoma's offense ran, they basically built around their strengths, which was Hollywood Brown. They built around CD lamb and they built around Grant Calcaterra. Yep. A lot of it was also the tight end being able to mismatch on the linebacker, getting that separation and being able to get that big body perfectly plays in the end zone would not shock me at all. If that ends up being the case, cause I don't know if you can trust Charles clay as much. I hope that he honestly like is able to come back and be a solid option like that 600 yard receiving threat you're talking about. But I, I would think if they do end up drafting a guy, like I would wait until probably the third round. If like, let's say that Sternberger's still there top of the third, or if you like a guy like uh, Dawson Knox. On day three, there's a couple of different options. You've got kind of your Foster Moreau. The team visited with Dax Raymond. Um, I don't think at least – and now maybe you have a shocker, and Noah Fant is there at the top of the second round. He kind of at least reminds me – he and Irv Irv Smith, at least, I've heard Delaney Walker is a comp for him. Fant reminds me a little bit of Eric Ebron and the fact of maybe you're talking about Ebron this last year, which would be an awesome, you know, object to get. I still wouldn't pass on – I still don't think he's quite in that Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski type of elite range, though, if that makes sense. It's kind of a tier below. And I don't know if that's worth taking over an offensive lineman or protector at this point, considering that this is probably a two-year process with the Cardinals. So um, one of the guys, as far as my sleeper pick, we've talked about him, I think, before, Josh Oliver, guy out of San Jose State. Um, He's a guy who at least – 
very much similar as far as dimension to Sternberger. Didn't have as much of the production, but I think that he's a guy who can get a lot of red zone offense and be a guy you could look at potentially on round four for the most part. He's athletic enough, uh, at least had a good 40 drill. We talked a bit about in the past about Caleb Wilson. I think what's interesting about him is that he seemed to not test well athletically in any of the different aspects except for the 40-yard dash. So if you're talking about at least with, you know, Hey, with him being able to be a guy that maybe you look at at the late round of the draft to reunite with Rosen, or even as a guy who he played that receiving role very well in the Pac-12, maybe he's a guy who could kind of be a hedging your bet maybe a little bit if you don't draft a tight end early, but you're not sure if Charles Clay is going to make it through the season. Want to get another guy, I can go with Ricky Seals-Jones. But that would wrap it up for me. I think if I had to pick kind of the guy I would look for the most part, it would probably be Sternberger. If he's the available at the beginning of day three, I would feel totally fine taking him not looking back and essentially being able to look at clay sternberger and seals jones is a major improvement from where the cardinals have been at the tight end room the last couple of seasons yeah i'm i'm right there with you i just think that there are going to be too many other quality options at either receiver or offensive line or even defensive tackle like we talked about last week where it's just like the positional value has to have merit and i think it does because they're taking a quarterback first overall and i don't know too many people and most everybody that we interact with likes Kyler Murray, but like is Kyler Murray a better overall prospect than Nick Bosa or Quentin Williams? Probably not. Um, Williams is certainly the safer option. So if, if we're talking positional value and you've got, you know, a high grade on some of these second tier tight ends, and you've got a lot of these interior offensive linemen, which is a much greater need right in that same area. It's going to be hard for, for the, the Cardinals, I think, to pull the trigger. I mean, anytime you're, you're the worst team. You're clearly the worst team in the league. You have so many areas in which you can improve. We always talk about building the foundations of your team, you know, from the from the tackles and outwards. So, you know, receivers generally a luxury position, but I think it's changed a little bit now. And receiver is, is very much a necessity. You have to have quality pass catchers, um, but you also have to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. And the Cardinals are so weak on, on both sides of the line of scrimmage just based on what they've shown last year. And they've done nothing for me outside of a couple decent moves on the defensive line, uh, especially on the offensive line. I, I like Marcus Gilbert, but he's, he's barely been, he's barely played. He's had a suspension. He's had a major injury. I mean, he's, he's over 30. I mean, like, let's be honest. They have no building blocks on the offensive line. They're going to take another quarterback in, in the top 10 again this year. And yep. look what they, they could have very well ruined Rosen last year. If they're not, if they're not investing multiple picks on the offensive line this year, and they have no excuse because they're going to be a position to there's going to be quality players on the board no matter where they're picking in the first or second round um i i just think that it's it's a position where yeah i would love to have a lot of these guys on the team but would i love it in in place of like a garrett bradbury or somebody like that to pick 33 like right, right, right. of course not so at the end of the day it's a it's still to me a luxury position i think you can win without it but i think it can be an x factor on championship teams um george kittle was a monster last year and the niners were awful i mean you know at the end of the day it's just like let's try and develop some continuity on the offensive line and even i've I've, you know at receiver as well especially when you know that that is shown to be you know a measuring stick for a lot of rookie quarterbacks you have to have quality pass catchers tight end is just kind of very much in that same realm of really like second and third corner for me where I'm like show up everything else and then yeah let's let's look at that position 
you know, if you know, I love the Nicholas pick in 2014 because the Cardinals, I thought, were an ascending team. They were. Mm-hmm. They'd won 10 games. They were terrible at that position. And I thought Nicholas could, would be the next great Notre Dame tight end. Um, didn't, didn't work out like that. But I, I understood the knowledge there for a team that's so bad. Uh, and 3-13, and you're picking first in every round. Tight end, to me, it's like, mm, you know, and I think with this class too, Blake, you just mentioned a couple guys I think that could be had on day three. Mm-hmm. And day three, you know how I feel like all, all bets are off. Outside of a running back, yeah. that is. Yeah, I know, definitely. That's kind of where a lot of times, like, you know, the concept I've kind of come around to is the draft really ultimately is four rounds. And if you land those late picks late, like uh, you look at the Seahawks with like, great, the picks that they got with, I know, Sherman and Cam Chandler, I think it was almost even like in similar, like just next to each other drafts. And it just was, it was a huge boost, at least for the whole team, because you got such value, at least so late in the draft. If you can land one or two of those guys, obviously it's like it's a shot in the dark, but I would – I love it. And I think more that I've looked at some of the offensive, at least for with the Kittles and the play calling, the tight end, it offers so much flexibility. I wouldn't have a problem if they did put it as a slightly higher priority, but I think that it's going to be really highly drafted because it's a good class for some of these guys really high. Like, and I, I think that it would make sense. If you feel like you've got that guy who could be like and have the impact that a Travis Kelsey has had in the Kansas City Chiefs for that one, and it works into your scheme, then sure, go ahead, go for it. But I, I kind of agree with you is that there's probably other options that are going to be there, and you might have enough of a workable factor with Charles Clay and with Ricky Seals-Jones right now that there's not going to be as much space for a rookie, especially if your team is going to be running like an offense where there's only going to be one tight end on the field most of the time, and there's not going to be a two tight end offense. You really needed two tight ends for Mike McCoy's scheme. And um, you don't need two tight ends here with, with Cliff Kingsbury. You just kind of are going to be focusing on – our next topic, which is going to be the wide receivers. Now, John, this is probably one of the biggest needs the Cardinals have. You look at their current roster construction. You've got Fitzgerald. You've got Christian Kirk. And then you've got a drop-off. The best wide receiver after that, probably at least from what we've seen, is probably even Trent Sherfield. Like, Chad Williams, he, I think they talked about with, as far as his production for number of snaps he got last year was miserable. Farrell Cooper is mostly a special teams player. Uh, they signed, I think, a late free agent, Malachi Dupree, a guy who in the 2018 draft was kind of a late-round pick, just got released. Um, I think that they could probably double-dip and take at least one or two wide receivers in this draft and then still probably try to see if they could find a gem in free agency. So let's go ahead and look at just some of the possibilities because what's interesting is that the there is such a split on the wide receivers this year where everyone agrees it's a pretty deep class, but no one knows what the top end of the class is because there's been rumors and whispers at least about because DK Metcalf production isn't there his efficiency is there when he he has the spot but his agility is not Hollywood Brown hey he's probably a guy a lot of people see with that speed the game breaking he's not even considered a first round lock because of the Liz Frank injury and because he's just a small sized guy and then uh, we've got the other two players at least with their kind of rounded up kind of not five Gambo five which were AJ Brown and Nikhil Harry and you and I kind of both agree that we don't really see them as much as fits for the Cardinals right now. I mean, Brown, maybe he is a guy. Like, he's kind of that late first-round type of more well-rounded player. Nikhil kind of is similar with his testing. But, John, the, the top end of the wide receivers, they don't seem to be the most impressive outside of DK and Hollywood. And those are guys I think that we both could see would be off the board. Or if they were there at 33, it would still be really – those are, like, the only two players you would kind of – consider that spot what, what are some of your thoughts about the high top end of the wide receiver class and then let's get into some of the gems and the deeper cuts yeah some teams are going to get burned by this class because not everybody's going to pan out every one of them comes with serious question marks uh, i'm at a position right now where i would not be surprised if only one i think one at least one's going to go in the first round but i think the more tape we get on dk metcalf 
and you just keep going back to that production standpoint. I just, I, I'm not convinced he's going to go nearly as high as people think. I just, I think that too many teams are going to be concerned with the lack of productivity and I have to answer to like their ownership. Like why did this guy underperform and his teammate was a star in the same scheme? Like what, what's going on? Because it's not like just, a, I mean, like DK McKeff had, uh, 550 yards or 70 yards or something like that. AJ Brown had 1300 yards. Yeah. And so it's just like, what, what's happening here? I know that DK is a, is a physical specimen, but at the end of, and I know he averaged more yards per carry, like six or seven, but like, is he a one trick pony? Like, you know, I, I would, that would concern me if I was a team to be able to have to sell that to my ownership. If you're taking like DK Metcalf in the teens and you're like, mm, is this another situation where like, what was that draft in 2017 where we had three wide receivers in the top 10 yeah, or 11? Yeah. Odell, like, Watkins, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, I'm talking about uh, – yeah, I'm, not, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, you're 20, right. Not 2011, 2017. Oh, you're right. You're talking about like the – what was the John, John Rosses? John Ross, I'm sorry. Corey uh, Davis and Mike Williams. And, Mike, well, and Mike Williams. So is, yeah. is DK Metcalf another Mike Williams uh, – or excuse me, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Davis? Mike Williams I think is going to come along, but – he hasn't set the world on fire. John Ross has been rumored to be traded. He could be cut at some point. So, like, that, that scares me a little bit. Here's what I'll say. I think all of them can play in the right scheme. I think scheme matters for a lot of these guys. Like you mentioned, Blake, I, I, I think Nikhil Harry, as much as I love his game, like, is, he, is it too much like what Fitzgerald does at this point? Yeah. And can he separate week in and week out? Um, he's got phenomenal hands. I would love to see him play in the Valley. Um, but you just did that with Christian Kirk last year. So you have, a, you have a local product that really looks like he could be a special player. I, in my opinion, the, the, nobody has better highlights than Marquise Brown. And that's not just because he played with Kyler Murray. Like he is the, the most, the player that pops for me the most on, on tape. Like if you're just going to put the tape on for everybody, I get it. Nobody plays defense in the, in the big 12. And, and that, that should factor to some degree, but him just being consistently wide open. I mean, if you're getting a Deshaun Jackson for the next 10 years, and I get it, he's, he's a little bit undersized. He's basically like another John Ross, but he's a much better prospect. And in my opinion, John Ross was, was grossly overdrafted. Um, but I, I, if he can bounce back from the, from the foot uh, situation, Liz Frank, uh, I, I think he, he has a chance to be the best of the group. Um, but it would not surprise me between Nikhil Harry and Marquise Brown, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Akeem Butler, if like five of the six of those players are available when the Cardinals pick a 33, just because I think that other positions are just so overly strong at like defensive tackle, defensive end. We talked about interior offensive line. I think we could see certain quarterbacks go in the 20s, some of these second and third tier quarterbacks. Where I think a lot of these receivers are going to be pushed down. Uh, the, the position, or the, the one I think that, that kind of stands out for me as if you're going to go really boomer bust is, is Butler just on the fact that he's got all the physical attributes. He's not, con- he's not great um, uh, at point of attack with his hands and, and bringing down contested catches. But like from a, from a physical standpoint, he's got uh, the speed. Absolutely. He's an absolute outside receiver. He can run the go route. And so that to me, like if if I'm guessing, like he kind of fits that mold, but is he too big? I don't I don't know. I don't know what Kingsbury. Again, I go back to the information that I heard that he likes smaller, not necessarily possession wide receivers, but like you know, kind of like what the Cardinals already have in in Christian Kirk or maybe yeah. like a Tyler Lockett, somebody who kind of fits that mold. Um, and I just I worry that too many of these guys, like AJ Brown, Nikhil Harry, even um, DK Metcalf to some degree, are they too much? 
destined for the slot. And if you're going to take a receiver that high, I really hope he's an outside receiver and, and can play the X or the Y. But I, I like a lot of these guys for a lot of different reasons. I would not be opposed for the Cardinals taking any of them. Uh, I like Kel- like Kelvin Harmon's a player that I think could be could be a quality pro. Everybody talks to me about how much they love Riley Ridley. Again, like if you're if you're getting one of these guys late in the second round, Andy Isabel is, is somebody I like. I know you're high on. You know, I, I have no problem with any of these players. They all have their faults. I could get excited about any one of them, but I I there's a good chance, like every year, like half these guys aren't going to pan out. Yeah, definitely. I think what's interesting, and just to kind of go through some of those names with. For me, Metcalf is fascinating because he tests out, uh, except for in the areas of agility, and for that one, he was strictly almost used vertically. He tested out similarly to Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, and then agility-wise, it was just, like, not great. So the comp that I have that would be fascinating is if he can develop that a little bit more and be well-rounded, then all of a sudden you're talking about, like, you know, one of those higher-end type of wide receiver ones who can be, like, your primary pass catcher target. I think he could be more of, like, a Mike Wallace where it's less a number one guy but more of, like, a straight-line vertical threat. His size is a totally different animal for that one. Um, the thing that I would worry about with him is the last time that you saw a receiver like that who had potential red flags from injury issues came out of a really, uh, you know, it was still a pass-friendly offense for the most part and was uh, tested out really well. Was That since maybe overdrafted because of that size was Kevin White, who is – currently one of the Cardinals wide receivers that they have and never really caught on at all with the bears it's kind of considered a bears bust, even though he was just a workaholic, nicest guy in the world. That's part of the thing of what DK Metcalf is. He's like one of those, like, you know, first guy off the bus, like let's get it done type of players is what I read in his uh, scouting report for that one. Don't know the guy, but that's uh, one of the things you look at. So he'd be a guy, if he's there at the top in 33, I wouldn't be opposed because Kyler's arm, as far as for fitting those outside guys who can be able to separate, make contested, he fits those guys really well. I wouldn't be opposed, but it would be enough of a risk as far as for that one with the production that I just don't know if you can take that guy you'd want to have a first year impact. We were like, all right, we need to stop and start running more diverse route trees because this is how we're going to run this with our scheme is being able to make these reads and reactions. I would probably say that it would be an option of unless you and all these other guys are just like, you know, wowed out by what he's done and this is going to be a great fit. I would pass on him. Hollywood to me is the best fit. He's the guy who I also think is least likely to be there. Um, it's also a bit of a risk because with the Liz Frank injury, he's supposed to obviously get back in. You've already got the rapport with Kyler. I think that it would be an interesting option if it's there at 33, but I, I feel like it's going to be, there's so many teams that are playoff teams or late rounds. I feel like he's going to get snapped up. Um, and that spot, at least because of the injuries, because of the size and the other aspects, at least there is still a bit of a risk there. I don't know if I would hedge that bet over potentially finding a long-term, you know, starting offensive lineman. If you ended up trading a pick, obviously, for Josh Rosen, if it ends up being middle of the second round, late second round, perhaps that's an area you look at. Um, let's talk a bit about the the kind of two guys in the Gambo, the Gambo not five, at least with A.J. Brown, Nikhil Harry. I'm probably a little higher on A.J. Brown than you are. I think he can play inside and out, even though he played a lot out as a big slot. He's kind of that master jack of all trades, master of none. He tested well with his 40 time, his speed. I think that there's a possibility of him being a Juju Smith-Schuster, but as we've seen with Christian Kirk, he and Christian and some of these other guys might be best fits for the slot even though they can play outside he's well-rounded enough that I wouldn't mind if he was to pick at 33 because I do think that they have a big need I just think there's a lot better value at least for that late and obviously he's got all the check boxes for that he may be the guy who sneaks into the first round now let's let's get into it with Nikhil because there's so many Card- uh, Cardinals and ASU fans I talk with about a lot of this and most of the 
what I've said and what I've seen, because, you know, I've watched Nikhil for the last three years, at least just like many of you guys have too. And even going back with Chandler, it was such a big news when he came into ASU. The biggest thing when I watched him and saw with him is so often he was playing either in space, such a tremendous athlete there, but a lot of times it was in the slot. And what I noticed about the slot was because of the way the mismatch games worked, it was because when he was on the outside, he would make these crazy contested catches. And often it was because he had to make that crazy contested catch. He was right next to the guy, the ball would be underthrown, or he'd have to make this lunging leap for the catch because it was overthrown. But it wasn't that he was a wide open guy for those deep areas. When he was outside, there were struggles as far as the separation. So it's not a spot where I think he's going to be limited there. I think that he's got a work ethic he'll develop there. But he admitted, at least at the combine, like that they played him inside of ASU because his routes were not really all that great. And so they were able to kind of mask some of that and be able to get around with that. So for me, it's like if you're taking a player like that who's a big slot guy, plays that Larry Fitzgerald role perfectly, and you still have Fitz on the roster, I think you really need to focus on a guy who can play outside and play that X, especially if Christian Kirk can play outside or in the slot. I would at least say if Nikhil Harry is there on the board, at least at 33, I would at least consider passing on him just because I don't think it's the right fit. And I think, John, you and I kind of have been in agreement on this is there's other players who are better fits at least. And so even though it'd be awesome to see a guy like Nikhil Harry there, and even though he tested out, you know, fantastic at the combine, um, I mean, he's not that speedy type that you're looking for as far as a separation. He's great in space, but Cliff really loves like precise route runners and guys who are able to manipulate defenses. Um, we saw a lot of that at OU with these precise guys that are there to kill Harry. It just is not a great fit for that. So it's disappointing. I know for Cardinals fans, but you're going to, going to be looking more for the Christian Kirks. I think than you are for the Nikhil Harry's. Yeah, he is. And I don't want to call him slopping his route running, but he's not as refined as some of these other players in this draft. And Nikhil Harry would basically be, um, a long-term play based on the fact that once Larry is gone, he would take over as your primary target in the slot, um, which would be fine. But um, as long as you were able to incorporate him in, in, you know, three and four receiver packages this year. Um, and again, he's, he's a big body receiver who can make contested catches pretty regularly could, can be press man. Uh, I've seen him do it like you have Blake on, on so many occasions. I think his, his private workouts for teams have, have gone really well. He's just a, a really solid prospect. He's a solid top 50 prospect. Um, and I think he's going to be productive um, if he goes to the right spot. I, I think he's got very little bus value. I think he's a very safe player. But if, if, what's, his, what's his upside? Because if you're using pick 33, again, I equate anything in the top 40, uh, you, you got to have a, a first-round grade on a guy. Um, and so – like, are you getting first-round production out of Nikhil Harry? I, you're probably not getting it year one. And, and so, you know, I, I, it would be a great story. But outside of that, like, are you going to accept the kind of season you just got from Christian Kirk this past season if you're taking him 33 overall? I think you would hope for a little bit more than that based on the fact that you've got an offensive coach now and, and he's probably going to be seeing another team's, you know, third or fourth best corner. So on the surface, you know, you say, I've got Nikhil Harry and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. Like, you can get excited about that, but what's, what's the short and long-term play? I, I just don't know. I think, it, I think it's a safe choice, but I think that if, you, if you're – I agree with you, Blake. If you're looking for the, the big upside, you got to go Butler. you got to go – you know, A.J. Brown, to me, is a, is a better prospect than Nikhil, but I, you know, I, I, I'm probably closer on the two than a lot of people. I have A.J. Brown at 31 – and, and Nikhil Harry, 36 overall. Um, Hollywood Brown, to me, again, is the ultimate X factor. It would be, I don't know what, what I would do. If, if the Cardinals take Murray first overall and then take Hollywood Brown and pick 33, I, that is just, this, that would 
coincide well with just the complete chaos that's been this offseason. Um, oh, yeah. Everyone would be getting hype for all of that one, at least. It would be great. I just feel like you can find, and this is not an indictment of Hollywood Brown, I just think that historically, I mean, you're going to take an undersized quarterback and an under, undersized wide receiver in back-to-back rounds, um, two in the top 32. That makes me nervous. Um, and I think you, historically you can find undersized receivers that can play big roles later in the draft. But I, 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 it's, it's hard for me because it's the same thing I go with with Murray. It's like I don't want to knock his game for the sake of knocking it because he's undersized. Like I want to just purely judge what he does on the field. But that's not the NFL. You have to do projections for the next level based on more than just tape and game footage um, to coincide with that with that draft pick. And so um, I would be hesitant to take Hollywood at 33. I really I I'm at the point now where I am so dead set on hopefully finding best available offensive linemen mm-hmm. at pick 33, and then hoping one of these receivers falls to me. Again, I mentioned this on a um, earlier. It just it just that makes more sense because again, I think it just it really starts to thin out on the offensive line uh, outside of the top 40 or 50 guys. Now, if you if you have the Rosen pick and you're picking 43, even though I think Kime will be tempted to trade down, um, and you've got pick 33 and pick 43, I think you could go nuts. I think you could walk away with a scenario, and this is the fun part: you're getting Murray, you're getting you know a quality player at 33, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, uh, interior offensive lineman. Just you know name name one of them any any of them will do um somebody like oh let's say i'm pulling up my big boy here a big board here like a dalton riser somebody like an eric mccoy uh pick 33 and then you know who knows maybe a butler's available at pick 43 maybe Nikhil's available at 43 and then you're really in a position where you the value is too great even with positional um even with uh scheme fit I think you'd have to pull the trigger. So a lot of interesting scenarios. Day two of the draft with the Cardinals potentially going to have multiple picks in each round uh, based on the Rosen trade. Again, these are projections that we're hearing something to the effect of a second and a conditional third maybe, but that might be a future third. Again, it's it's very much hearsay at this point, but the Cardinals are going to have a lot of options. They need to come away with multiple starters on day two at least three. Uh, so if you get, let's say you get two picks for the Rosen trade, I think at least, uh, not three, two, two of those players need to be day one starters. So an interior offensive lineman or or outside receiver, something to that effect. Maybe maybe it's an edge rusher. Maybe it's a defensive tackle. But I, I, I like their options. I think it's going to be fun because the, the best part for me outside of the first round is waking up on day two, seeing the best available doing those mock draft projections on Friday that you can only do for Friday. Friday has its own special mock draft that you can yep, do. Yep. Um, and I, there were so many quality players last year, specifically interior offensive line and receiver seems to kind of always be the trend, right? It's either there's a run on corners, receivers, and, and like guards and centers on the start of day two. And um, the Cardinals took advantage of that last year with Christian Kirk, and, and hopefully they can do it again. Yeah, I'd agree, John. That would be awesome if you could end up getting to day two and you see one of those wide receivers either falls. Again, that'll be interesting with um, the Hollywood uh, kind of connection. I think that just even the name like that and the big plays you've seen with Baker, it's uh, it'd be like a big deal for that one. It's still a little bit as far as with the injury of a risk. Um, I know with Hakeem Butler, it's interesting. I know I've had like some discussions with people who are like, well, what's the difference between Butler and Nikhil Harry? They play similarly, but Butler lined up outside a lot. And if you look at the production that he had as far as his um, average yards per catch for the most part, like he averaged 22 yards per catch this year in Iowa and had 60 catches. You're talking about like this crazy deep threat who's also able to make contested catches, a fluid athlete. I don't think that he should be the pick at 30 
33 at least just because for the, some of the same reasons you have but I think he's probably like maybe one of the best wide receivers in this draft and a more I would probably like his options to become like this big mismatch number one wide receiver ahead of a guy like a DK Metcalf for the most part um, there's still going to be obviously some questions about with drops and some of the separation for that one at least but you know he's he can go out and just Randy Moss a couple of guys you probably don't care as much about some of the separation aspects the uh, the interesting kind of middle names that you would look at would be a guy like like you're talking about with Debo Samuel or even a Paris Campbell. Those guys both fit the spread offensive types as far as being able to get close catches and being able to get some of that. I think what's different about them, though, at least, is they're more over the middle type of guys. And as far as the production with the routes, it's just kind of fascinating to me because Paris just didn't go downfield like at all for the most part. They just they just didn't use him there. So it's kind of a, a projection you have to make there. Um, Debo is a guy who seems to honestly fit Cliff's YAC. He, he kind of compares honestly to Christian Kirk for me, at least really, really easily. Uh, I think Kirk is a lot more of an explosive player. I don't think Debo is a guy who's going to be, you know, beating people to the end for that one. Uh, he still had a great 40-yard dash. But the guy who I kind of keep coming back to that seems to make the most sense to me, I even mentioned his name earlier, is an Andy Isabella out of a small school at Massachusetts. He's a guy who essentially, if you look at his track record, literally, uh, he essentially was a guy who won, like, the had the top 60-yard dash in the nation, won the 100-meter and 200-meter dashes. He beat Denzel Ward, who was, like, a guy who ran, like, what was, like, a 4-3 or something at the Combine. Uh, it was a low 4-4, I believe, at least, top four NFL draft pick. And his production value is, like, off the charts. Like, he essentially had, like, 230 catches at UMass, had 102 catches, uh, 1,700 yards this year, 13 touchdowns. Uh, the best thing I can at least look at is if you kind of like picture the body size, because he's a small guy. He's 5'8", 188 pounds, so it's not like he's you know, a Hollywood Brown size at like 170, 175. He's still got a lot of thickness. The way that you kind of look at him is it honestly looks like uh, almost like a second coming of um, – a second coming of Julian Edelman as far as for how he plays the game, but he's got a different level of speed where he can play outside and separate and get a lot of those late, like fast routes. So the kind of comp that I have for him is I think that he could be potentially a T.Y. Hilton, small size guy who came out of a small school, uh, fell a little bit in the draft because of those measurables, but is just a very, very diverse, great route runner who can separate, get open, and then can get the touchdown production values. I think that that's a, a great option for him. So if you're going to say between taking a Marquise Brown at 33 versus at 46, and I don't know, like, he's like one of pro football focuses, like top two darlings right after Kyler Murray this year, just because of the athleticism and the production values that he did have. It's like, it's a guy who, unless he ends up getting smacked super hard and gets injuries, he's probably not going to bust just because of that, the ability that he has inside and outside. Uh, I, I think that it'd be awesome to see him outside for the most part, or even when you break him into the slot with, you know, with him across from Fitzgerald, maybe you move David Johnson to the outside. The thing that makes it really interesting is the Cardinals hired Spencer Whipple out of University of Massachusetts, who for the last three years was their passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. So like he essentially hired, you know, this guy's position coach for the last few years. He's got perfect insight after making a recommendation. It'd be a, a great transition, at least because he knows everything there is to know about the guy 
as his position coach. So I would think that that may be if the Cardinals, you know, get a mid or even a late second round pick. If Isabella is still hanging around there, I think it would be that perfect kind of slot at 46. Some Cardinals fans may not like, you know, taking a small, tiny wide receiver with that pick that's not named Marquise Brown. But for me, that seems like it would be a perfect marriage because he fits almost exactly what I think you're looking for with Cliff Kingsbury. And he's got that deep speed separation where you can get a lot of deep passing plays down the field. He would just round out, I think, that wide receiver room as far as being able to get a second big play type of threat that can also do the little things well. So I'm, I'm kind of a big fan on him, especially in this type of a system. And then I think you follow it up with getting a, a, a big guy later. I don't know if, John, if you've got anything else to put in on Isabella before we get into some of the deep sleepers later in the draft. Uh, no, he's a, he's a guy I think that would be definitely appropriate on day two. It just depends on how early it, it certainly you're not going to look at him at 33, but again, right. when that Rosen pick comes into play, I, I could see him part of a trade down scenario, either from pick 33 or the Rosen pick. I mean, if he, if he somehow were to get to the first pick of the third round, I'd totally be fine with that. I mean, he is, he's very much bread and butter, move the chains type of player, make contested catches, but you know, get, open in short areas you know the nfl is about precision and he's a precision route runner um going back just to uh, the initial point i had about dk metcalf mm -hmm. the, one of the comps that i've seen that i think could be kind of similar their body types are a little bit different this this individual had a body type more like hakeem butler but just the scheme that they played in college and then how it might translate uh stephen hill was a player mm -hmm. that was taken in the second round by the new york jets that was all based on projection, right? He That's was a, a great physical comp, yeah. freak. He averaged. I think you think you think uh, DK Metcalf had crazy averages in college in terms of his yards per catch. In his last year at Georgia Tech, Stephen Hill averaged almost 30 yards per catch, over 800 yards. I mean, that's that is insane. And then he tore up the combine. He had great individual workouts. You could argue he was a better prospect, and he busted hard. He was out of the league in two years. Could not play in the NFL. And so when you, when you want to go based off of projection and measurables and everything outside of being on the field, that that's worries me. It's when you can combine the two is when you get a special player, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to be able to have some college production that, that can translate. And he, he just, he, for whatever reason, like he just seems like an outlier kind of player where it's just like, man, like, are you going to be able to sell your staff, your peers, whomever, on a guy only at 500 yards receiving, yeah, like, you know, you, what was he? You know, what what went on uh, every Saturday at Old Miss where he couldn't produce and his and his teammate could? So that was just one comparison that I've seen that I thought, you know, what that's kind of interesting. I would dive more into that. No way did I think Stephen Hill averaged anywhere near 30 yards per care per, per catch, but he did it last year at Georgia Tech. Yeah, no, I totally agree for that. The The one comp that I've seen that I've liked that the Draft Network has used is Plaxico Burris for Hakeem Butler. I think that would be a, a fascinating thing where you get a wide receiver one, not a high-end one, but guy who, you know, is able that'd to – That'd be totally fine. I'd be stoked at least for that one if you end up getting a guy like Plaxico. At least I'd, I'd happily take a shot on him for sure. Uh, some of you guys, some of you guys who are football fans can, can see what I did there. Uh, let's go ahead and move on because I think it, it's fascinating. I love the at least kind of looking the, – the biggest thing with comps is it's, it's more just to try to take a lot of complex and difficult information and try to make it simpler. That's the whole thing I think that you try to do versus trying to say this guy is going to be like Julio Jones at the next round. You can say, no, athletically he compares this way, but stylistically maybe he compares more to, you know, like we talked about with DK uh, – um, 
you know, looking at that long, that long range, uh, what was it, long end guy, you know, maybe, maybe DK Metcalf ends up turning into a Josh Gordon. Like maybe it's, we're kind of off on some of that for how it turns out. I think that Josh Gordon's production obviously was a lot different, although, and also the player themselves at least were just totally different as far as how, uh, how the NFL futures have turned out. Um, one of the other guys, at least before we move on to the late day three type of guys and day two, at least for the most part, one that I also like at least who's improved himself is, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the thing I love about him, and this is like kind of a scouting thing, is he does have a basketball background. So as far as the way that he boxes out, is able to be uses his athleticism. He had 14 touchdowns this last year, had almost 20 yards per catch for the most part, improved every single year. He was in the Pac-12, which is, you know, not a slouch as far as with, a, like the Big 12 can be as far as with offense. So that would be if you're looking for a slightly larger size or a guy who can help in the red zone. Um, guy who also can do a great job as far as blocking. We all know, at least with Stanford, with how they use a lot of times. Um, health might be a question with him, but let's go ahead and move on to some of the deeper cuts, at least. with the, the One of the guys that's kind of come on late after his combine was Miles Boykin, who essentially kind of tested out as just as athletic as uh, just as athletic as Hakeem Butler and DK Metcalf. The biggest thing with him, obviously, had 60 catches for 800 yards this year. Wasn't used a whole lot. He was the MVP of this year's Citrus Bowl. Big guy at 6'3", 220. If you're looking for a guy who potentially could develop into a starter, like the, the comp that I would look at is let's say that you end up looking at kind of a, a poor man's Michael Floyd. Potentially that would be a, a pick you would have with him with the athleticism and the way that it turned out with being able to box out with all of that. That would be kind of an interesting one. The other two names that I, uh, I guess I can say three names to that one, Michael Hardman out of Georgia. You're talking about that 3-3 deep speed. Um, Georgia essentially didn't target him a lot, but when they did, he was a really explosive guy for the most part. He started off as a cornerback, moved to wide receiver in 2017 to 2018. Uh, best thing you can at least say about him for the most part, he's a small, undersized guy, great athlete with the speed for the most part. I think the question you'd have is, is he a slot guy? Can it be an outside guy? Um, I think that between him and Terry McLaurin, that was a guy the Cardinals, I believe, actually asked at the Combine about Nick Bosa, along with other guys asked about him. Uh, athletic guy who, you know, he ran a 4-3-5, 40. Those, those Ohio State guys with their Combines are just freaks every single year. Like, whoever the guy who preps them for that needs to get, like, a raise big time. Uh, he's also going to be strong on special teams. So if you're talking about, like, wanting to get a guy who can be, like, an instant, like, impact wide receiver and help on special teams, he's great there, too. The guy who I would think would be most curious if he's there on day uh, on uh, day three would be the uh, Missouri's Emmanuel Hall. Now he had injury issues at least for the most part. Like when he played, didn't play too much, but when he did play, he was just this incredibly explosive guy. Uh, averaged about twenty yards per catch, twenty four and then twenty two in the SEC, where they've got you know the best corners in college football for the most part. Um, he was kind of like the Drew Locke's blanket wide receiver as far as the big arm pushing the ball downfield, getting separation. Uh, he's an incredibly tough guy to cover. I would roll the dice on him despite the injury concerns for the most part. Uh, the best way you look at it is, hey, if you take him in round four with pick one as you know, the wide receiver, you're getting a guy who should go in the second round, but injuries lowered his concern. Maybe you luck out. Maybe you say, we're the Cardinals. We've had injury concerns. We can't take that risk. I think that's more than fair. Um, and then as far as with another big size guy, you'd look at one of the guys who visited the Cardinals, Dylan Mitchell at Oregon would be another guy. I would also double check out. He's a quick twitch guy. We talk about Cliff Kingsbury. It's quick, titch player, quick twitch players for that one. 
he's a strong player, was good with blocking. Um, he also is apparently like as far as with that one, he was the Z receiver that they had. So it'll be interesting if you're going to talk about having four wide receivers on the field, he would be able to get some time, probably would even, you know, have some playing time as a rookie. Um, he's got, you know, a 4-4 guy. I don't think you're going to be looking at anything 4-5 and faster, at least at wide receiver. Um, for the most part, outside, uh, even with Butler, some of those other bigger-sized guys, um, just because of the fact that you are going to be looking at the fact that with Cliff Kingsbury, any single play concept they do, even if it looks like a run play, they can instantly transform it into a deep shot just to take one-on-one -on -one coverage, even if you're playing a zone team. Uh, there's a breakdown I know that we went through this week, John, where it was great because it took whatever defense an NFL team is running. If you identify a mismatch in man or if you identify – a, um, a zone coverage, but it's a zone coverage where you're able to quickly isolate by spreading guys out, match up a safety with a 4-3 guy really quickly. You'll be able to convert that into a deep shot. So I think you're going to be looking at a guy like Mitchell who did visit with the team a bit late, uh, later in the draft. Um, what are some other guys that you would look at before we talk about the one specific Texas Tech guy that I think at least is maybe not a lock to the Cardinals on day three, but the guy that I think we'd love to spend some time talking about because there's a lot of mixed bags about him. But are there other wide receiver options that you like on day three, John? Yeah, I, I, some of them are fringe day two, day three guys. Um, Gary Jennings is, I think, one of the best um, advanced stats, according to SB Nation, says Gary Jennings is one of the best receivers in the draft, um, just based on his route running ability. Um, he's a four-year player. Uh, he had a very high catch rate, um, which is something that just his work in the intermediate passing game for West Virginia was really something to behold this past season. And he's somebody I think that it's kind of being overlooked at this point. He's a little bit undersized. He's right at 6'1", uh, but just had under 1,000 yards this past season, 13 touchdowns, is probably never going to be a number one receiver, but it could at some point be a, a very nice number two. Um, is has a similar game to Christian Kirk, not as explosive, but just somebody who, who I think you're going to be able to get great value if you get him at, let's say, the top of the fourth round. Um, it's played in a lot of big games for West Virginia. I, I think is just very fundamentally sound in, in everything that he does. High character guy who's beloved at West Virginia. I mean, these are the kind of players that you need to fill out the, the duration of your roster. I've been a big Paris Campbell guy for some time. I, I know he's drawing comps to Percy Harvin. I think that's the kind of Swiss Army knife Kingsbury would love to have. Uh, play him a little bit at running back, play him a little bit at slot, let him run a little bit outside. I think he had over 1,000 yards and, and 12 touchdowns for the Buckeyes this year. I mean, anytime Haskins had a big game, you could bet that, that Campbell did as well. Again, he's a little bit undersized, a little bit slight for, for my liking. But again, if you're able to get him maybe at the end of the third round, I know he's got a second round grade from a lot of people. I just... Swiss Army knives are tough for me to take in the in the top two rounds, but I, you know, Urban Meyer speaks very highly of him. Says that he's got a similar work ethic to Michael Thomas, so that that's good enough for me. His, his route running isn't as precise as Kerry Jennings, but he, he's somebody I think could absolutely be a game breaker for the Cardinals. I would love to see the Cardinals run the option with Kyler Murray and Paris Campbell. I think that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the last guy. Uh, this is another slot receiver. So again, you get outside of those those first couple players we talked about, Blake, who were true X and Y receivers. I know we played um, outside at, at Nebraska, but somebody like Stanley Morgan, who's again a four year player, high character guy. He's only about six foot, two hundred pounds. But he, he ran a four five. Let's get a lot of comparisons to Adam Humphreys, who we just saw just pop this year uh, with Tampa Bay. 
and he, he's got his he, he's got an ability to separate. Um, and then you know he's got he's he's quick after the catch. They said he's got very nice moves in the open field. Again, very similar to Gary Jennings. I think is somebody that's going to go probably early on day three, either fourth or fifth round. But again, you, you're getting these your high character senior guys who's done it, who know how to play the position. Who I I mean, if you find your third receiver in you know the, the beginning of day three i think that's pretty good value for what you're looking for if you hope that he could ascend to a number two at some point if christian kirk ascends to a number one um or you know you hit the jackpot and, and somebody becomes a co-tour number one with christian kirk i think that would be huge um but again those are those are just three guys i like guys who are productive at the college level who have seen it all have done it all you're not going based off of projection so much as like you just quality player, like has a chance to become a, an NFL starter, get eight, seven, eight hundred yards from them consistently. I mean, like that's today NFL. You look at what the Rams do so well is they've got so many interchangeable parts, you know, offensively. Yes, they have their ex in, in Brandon Cooks, but then they've got a bunch of different guys that can move around. Robert Woods finally popped for them. So it just to me, it's like, can we throw a bunch of really good pass catchers with Kyler Murray? And allow them to work off of, you know, other teams' third and fourth cornerbacks. And so with guys like Morgan and Jennings specifically, who aren't as heralded, but are very high character guys who I think can go and, and be, you know, immediate contributors on this team. And, and for day three, I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like that idea. And then I like just the idea of having, having a Swiss Army knife in, in Kingsbury's offense. <laughs> Uh, I love David Johnson. He's not that. He's not that player. Campbell is, and and so and then what I mean by that is you could absolutely run the option. David's David's a phenomenal receiver, but just the, the Percy Harvin role I think would be fun on this team. Yeah, I've heard comps to uh, Percy Harvin. I've heard comps to Cordero Patterson. I did like the one that they had as far as Curtis Samuel, who was essentially a wide receiver running yeah, back hybrid. That came from the same school, played the same position, did the same things. I think that would be a lot of fun for that one. I think as far as but the needs of the Cardinals, I think I still kind of agree that you probably want a, more of an X type, but you're going to need at least a lot of wide receivers. You're not going to be able to address all yeah, of it. It just depends where you, so. where you get these guys, right? Like you can like a lot about Paris Campbell, but you're not going to touch him hopefully in the second round. It's like, oh, if he's there exactly. in the third round, we can, we can definitely we can kick around the idea. The Cardinals just need playmakers, game breakers, whatever you want to call it, people that can score touchdowns for them, that can move the chains for them. They need an influx of offensive talent. Whatever that means, I'm, I'm game for it. Yep. The last two guys I want to touch on with the uh, wide receivers, and they're kind of interesting. The first one, obviously, as we mentioned, was Antoine Wesley, Texas Tech. Essentially one year starting, he ended up with 88 catches, 1,400 yards, nine touchdowns. He essentially was the the best way you can describe it, at least, was that he was kind of an ex-wide receiver that they had. Not maybe the greatest route runner, and he's a long, lengthy guy. Like, he's only 200 pounds at 6'4". But he's got great. I, I he's got great like ability to track catches and football in the air. He's also able to track the ball downfield. As far as with that, he's being able to, um, especially being able to. I think he had like a, what was that? Like I'm looking at the number 17 catches of 30 plus yards in the Big tw- Big 12 for that one. He's got some really sharp cuts at top speed. So he's kind of a guy that I think you could essentially the way that I would look at it is whatever you kind of expected or hoped that Chad Williams could be. I think that he's that spot there as far as at his best. At his worst, I think you're looking at another six, you know, six two and taller, uh, maybe like a wide receiver four or something with your team. That would be kind of like a Jerron Brown. You get him on day three. He already knows the scheme. Uh, long, rangy guy for that one. Who's able to also be a red, a red zone threat because of that size. I would have no problem. I think that it would make sense for the Cardinals to be higher on him potentially than other teams, if just because of the fact that. 
you don't have to teach him the playbook at, at all. You like he can move in and be able to be great with that. So I would be uh, more than active, at least for Antoine Wesley. Um, one of the other players I want to talk about, and John, we'll probably get a little bit of your feedback on some of this in a minute. Um, I am very, very curious as far as with Hunter Renfro, the guy who's played for, you know, 20 years, it seems like for Clemson. Uh, he's kind of in that spot where he was such a integral and valuable player to the Clemson Tigers in their, you know, multiple championships that they had where he essentially, they essentially, like according to some of the stuff I've read, they essentially had plays that were called out for him. They called it the Hunter play, where essentially it'd be a play that was designed and drawn up for him on third down, where they knew, hey, we got to get this down in distance. It's third and seven. We're getting the ball to Hunter because they knew he'd be able to change it and they'd have an option route that would be designed where he'd be able to find the soft spot in the zone, be able to separate, and he would get the ball. So that's one of the things I think I want to talk about, John, is do you think that a guy like a Hunter Renfro, who's a slot player, maybe someone's like talking about, you know, New England Patriot Hunter Renfro, like it's almost happening. Do you think that's a valuable thing to look at for day three with the size? Or do you think that you're kind of having to look at the needs specifically for the Cardinals versus the talent or some of the questions? It's, it's kind of an interesting spot as far as like, are you talking about an Edelman or a guy who doesn't fit the scheme as much? What are your, some of your thoughts, at least on a guy like Renfro, uber productive, at least in college for a number of years? I mean, the only player more productive than him in this draft essentially was the 200 plus catches from Andy Isabella what are some of your thoughts on a player like that I think he's going to be in demand because I think he projects better than he performed at the college level they had so many just a slew of riches at the skill player position at, at Clemson that outside receiver they have that the freshman that, that balled out with Trevor Lawrence I mean he's going to be a, a top 10 pick in the next couple of years but as far as Renfro goes I I think that he is going to be somebody I don't know how high in demand I mean he never tops over 650 in his college career and on a, in a program that consistently, you know, like to throw the football. Uh, he's an intermediate pass catcher. Um, I don't, to me, I, I, I worry that he's just a really good college player and you, you see it like he reminds me almost of like um, Shipley from Texas that came out with Colt McCoy that everybody fell in love with. And I actually thought Jordan Shipley was a, was a better product uh, coming out than Renfro was. I think he was bigger physically. Um, I think he was like six foot. And I just, he had to me just better measurables and, and he kind of flamed out. So it's, it's always tough to project how some of these smaller guys are going to come into the next level um, and, and produce. Bill Belichick's better than anybody. He found um, a certain slot receiver that was a quarterback in the seventh round in Julian Edelman and made him one of the most productive slot receivers of all time. Um, so I, I think he's definitely getting drafted. I, I just, I don't know how high I would take him. Mm -hmm. Listen, he's got, he's got tremendous hands, very high character, young man. Um, everything that you, like you hear him in an interview and you're like, man, I would really love to have that individual in my locker room. Mm -hmm. But just from a projection standpoint, it's tough. Cause it, you know, you're, you look at the statistics, excuse me, you look at the statistics and you say to yourself, okay, nothing blows me away there. Then you look at his measurables. He's like, okay, that's fine. He's already 23 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, he's a return specialist probably for you. Um, so he immediately becomes your kick and punt returner. So that, that justifiably is, is worth, you know, a fifth round pick for me. Would I take him in the fourth round? I that that that's that's a little rich for my taking. First pick I, in the fourth round is rough. Yeah, I know getting a day two talent there. So yeah, his comp is. I think people have compared him to the XC Hawk. I think it's Jeremy Curley. Um, <clears throat> he belongs somewhere in 
the fifth or sixth round, I think. I think if the Cardinals take him in the fifth round, that's fine. I think he's a he's a probably a, a solid fifth round pick. Um, with a with a, I mean, he could go at the end of the, at the fourth round. I mean, crazier things have happened, but to me, I just I'm a little I'm a little concerned about um, his his size, his measurables, and, and his lack of productivity. Uh, I mean, if I'm I'm looking at these, some of these other players that we've mentioned, Blake, and they're going they're topping a thousand yards. Yeah, They've got yeah, better yeah. measurables. Um, they played uh, bigger roles on their teams. Um, you know, he was he had the opportunity to play again on a lot of teams third or fourth corners in the ACC. Uh, so, I mean, definitely has a place in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not taking him though, probably before the fifth round. Yeah. I think that's, what's tough at least is the value that you put on a, a tremendous guy like that versus the upside. And that's, that's the, that's kind of the struggle that I think that you're going to have to deal with, with, uh, with a guy like him overall, which is unfortunate, but that's, that's part of life. It's also interesting, at least to me, when you're taking a look at the, um, just kind of the comparisons that I had for when you're looking up for some of that, like he kind of honestly, like it's almost like the the best example I could give at least as far as a, a Wes Welker seems to be the kind of fit. Um, he was also, I think Runfro was also a backup quarterback. So it's why so many people seem to be linking him to the Patriots. What's interesting when going through some of the different other comparisons is Kiki Cote, who was a Texas tech guy, you know, Cote had a much, much faster 40 yard dash for the most part. Uh, Trent Taylor seems to make at least a little bit of sense for the most part. Now, What's really interesting, at least, is that some of the other comps as far as, and some of that's just maybe the size that he has as far as with like a Deontay Burnett, Kendall Wright, uh, Marquise Brown even kind of comes up. What's really interesting is if you take a look through at some of the comps for um, uh, when you look at who are just kind of the main athletes that we're talking about, we're in the ballpark of the wide receivers and you're looking at the Andy Isabella and this is not like to kind of get back right to it as far as that one but because of his athletic profile the guy that he kind of compares the most to at least outside of Michael Hardman and Akiki Kote is is it John Brown, Tyler Lockett, Marquise Brown, Travis Benjamin uh, those are four of like those type of deep speed separation like productive in the right scheme productive in the right scheme for that one at least for those like that would be one and they're all small sized guys who came from small schools but ultimately produce so that would be fascinating like if you could at least take a look at one of those and it's like those are the guys who are the fit like I can at least understand and see that there's a fit for a guy like Renfro maybe on any team but that's one of the guys that I think is most interesting so it would be fascinating because I think you could probably like I, I could make an argument for drafting you know five wide receivers one for each round but when it comes down to it I don't think that it's going to be a spot where the Cardinals get more than two because there's still defensive need there's still other parts that if they end up with three at the end of the day that'll show you how much of a need it was again with the offensive line so uh, that'll kind of wrap it up at least for that part of our offensive prospects we got two more kind of areas to go over one john that i'd like to kind of post to you and i don't know if you got a chance to listen to the uh middle coughs uh, i know you kind of listened to some of those but his podcast today had a fascinating little detail on within nfl circles there are guys that said that in the chicago bears game last year with josh rosen when they came in in the fourth quarter there's a few nfl people rumor says so take it with a grain of salt but they said that it wasn't a wilkes decision to put in josh rosen it was rather that Sam Bradford just would not go back in the game and essentially just kind of quit on the team for that. So he didn't go and necessarily pull like the, um, who was the one Bills player for that one, at least who had the, oh gosh, this is like the infamous, at least for that one with um, uh, the, the cornerback. Yeah. Bill's uh, quits for Vernon, that Vernon uh, or not Vernon. Uh, it was the cornerback. Oh, Vontae, Vontae, Vontae Davis. Yeah. I was keeping confusing him with Vontae Mack from that, you know, draft day movie, which it was, it was average for that. But yeah, so essentially, you know, it's like if, if that's the case and that just kind of shows some of the wow factor of how much of that was 
just the just the entire signing at least for that one it's only it's probably the one of the worst signings that you could see at least from the Arizona Cardinals overall and that would be kind of crazy so that's one of the things I wanted to switch into as far as with Steve Kime and just for some of that it just shows how much of a train wreck everything was last year with the Arizona Cardinals but I think you had a comment at least from a, a fan a listener of the show had sent in I, I thought this would be a fantastic discussion point to get into kind of as we close up some of our time for today yeah so we asked fans for interaction on Twitter we love it it's it's why we do the show and we we get Q&A often I uh, Jacob Faith uh, who's a supporter of the podcast uh, sent a message that uh, we're sharing on the show. He said, I watched the entirety of yesterday's press conference meeting Kime in Kingsbury. And he said, I came away to the conclusion uh, that Kime is the cancer of this organization and he should have been cut out with Wilkes and the rest of the staff months ago. And a lot of people have made that claim. The guy clearly can't evaluate talent. He's proven that in the last six drafts and now clearly doesn't know what to do next week. I got that sense that he's more into the Boza route but Murray fits the coach's scheme too well to pass up on. So my question is, who does Bill Bidwell, or excuse me, Michael Bidwell, favor more, GM or the coach, and who has that say on the final pick? So I'll go first, Blake. Um, I basically responded with my reasoning for what I believe is, is going on right now. It's a great one to end on before the end of the, the pod leading into mm-hmm. the draft. I, I, I believe Kime has 99% of personnel say, he built Kingsbury's defensive staff. Mm-hmm. I think he still holds a lot of credibility within that front office. I believe Kingsbury gets to pick his quarterback. I think that when they brought him on, the selling point with the New York Jets, also bidding on Cliff Kingsbury, is that Kingsbury had an opportunity to work with Kyler Murray. And that was the Cardinals' trump card. And the Cardinals had to court Cliff Kingsbury into not taking the Jets' job. Um, the Jets, who have a franchise quarterback in place in Sam Darnold. So to answer your question, Jacob, I really do believe that, again, if if Cliff Kingsbury were, were to have accepted this position and told Cardinal Blass, I, I love Josh Rosen, I'll work with Josh Rosen, you're right. I think that Kime would very much be of the mindset, let's see if we can trade down first, but I think he would be going Nick Bosa or Quentin Williams, but one of those two players would be the first overall pick. I do not believe the infatuation with Murray lies with Kime. Kime may like him, but I think that it's a combination of Kingsbury it's a combination of wanting to give Kingsbury everything you can to have him succeed. And that kind of needs Kingsbury to succeed. So whatever that looks like, he's down for it. And then I think the, at the end of the day, Michael Bidwell wants this franchise to be rejuvenated, to be reborn, to have relevance in today's NFL. I think all those factors play into it. But I think, I think that he, Kingsbury will give some input on um, you know, what he's looking for in, as far as personnel. But make no mistake about it, Kime's picking the players. Blake, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that it's kind of almost like there's a balance to it where I don't think it's all bad. Like one of the comments that was talked about was saying like that um, where you're talking about can't evaluate talent has proven in the last six drafts and now clearly doesn't know what to do next week. I, I don't know, first of all, at least like we've talked about, John, we both are kind of in agreement that they do know what to do next week. And part of that, I think, is just the moves and stuff that we've seen, at least with the Cardinals, is like, you know, Steve Kime knew exactly what he was going to do, and it was not taking Kyler Murray. They'd have come out with that press conference and said, hey, you know, you're not going to believe us, but Josh is our guy for that one. We're not going to worry for that. Instead, they came out with this whole, oh, we're not, we never said we're taking quarterback, but we never said we're not taking one either. And it was just a spot where we both are kind of been in agreement that they know what they're going to be doing, at least. I think it's the fans would prefer to hear Steve Kime come out and say, hey, 
Josh Rosen's our guy. We know what we're doing. We're taking Bosa. End of story. Let's be done. And that would take all of the intrigue out, but it would kind of, I think, relieve a lot of fans who are having questions about Rosen, who are having questions about whether it's Bosa or Williams. And I think that's part of where it is, is that part of this whole process has been really tough and confusing, especially for it to land on, you know, drafting Kyler Murray a year afterwards. And that's where I think some of the questions in the negative side at least have come up where people are like you know talking about that he's potentially a cancer so I'll talk about in a second but I do want to also address the talent portion and I think it comes with there's been a lot of misses that Steve Kime has had it's last three years Cardinals have not gotten hardly anything out of their draft picks now if you count Chandler Jones obviously for a second round pick that pushes things a bit higher but it's obviously a different situation you look at the Kandichis the Williams Reddicks a lot of those guys just were not fits whether it was for the NFL or positionally and then even last year at least for that one it was it was a fine draft but there were not really superstars that were pulled and now this whole Rosen kind of scenario where essentially you know you're having to give up a first a third and a fifth and you know you're getting back like maybe a second and a third two seconds like is it going to be a second and a fourth this year like a lot of fans are just like puzzled by and then you throw in all of those first round picks which a lot of them did have injury issues as well so that's something good but I think to be able to say that he can't find or evaluate talent, I think it's different from that. There's each GM is going to have their own flaws. And this is like, you know, Bill Belichick, even he missed on a guy like a Dominic easily. And he gave up, you know, got only a second round pick swung and missed on that. He swung and missed on Jonathan Cooper and the Chandler Jones trade for the most part. So I, th- he didn't have to pay at Chandler Jones, obviously, but, to be able to leave out guys like the Tyron Matthews and finding a David Johnson, finding a John Brown, Dan Buchanan still was a successful NFL starter scheme in the NFL ultimately changed. Um, JJ Nelson, at least for where he was found in the fifth round late, still did have an impact for a bit. It just wasn't in the level the Cardinals needed when they didn't have other wide receivers. And then ultimately you kind of look at what, he's done with being able to find talent and value throughout the years with a guy like a Tony Jefferson, even a Ricky Seals Jones, and then bringing in some of those veteran free agents. Now there's obvious gaps and holes. We've talked about John still hasn't found interior offensive lineman or a cornerback in the draft of props from Patrick Peterson. And it's come to bite the Cardinals in the butt. I think that the biggest thing as far as for why you're talking about if Kime is the cancer, and I think it comes down to this, where because of Kime's DUI, it can sometimes tie into is there a lack of leadership? Is there a lack of accountability? The fact that Steve Wilkes was fired and let go from his job and Steve Kime kept his. He was the one who had a you know, the same five-year contract that tied him in. A lot of people are looking at saying, like, this is the guy who's, like, whispering into Bidwell's ear, trying to, he's kind of, you know, maybe the shadow controller of the organization. I think it's how a lot of people feel. And so I think it comes down to the fact of where it is what it is, and a lot of the question comes down to is, if Steve Kime and this whole pick and this Kyler Murray experience doesn't work, and he's, he's not going to be around at least to see the next one. Like there's going to be about two years and then it'll be gone. Now, if it does work and if Kyler ends up becoming kind of this idea of where let's say Cliff is going to become a Mahomes with legs, ultimately it's still Kime's pick. It's not that this is Cliff Kingsbury's pick and Kime is just standing back there getting railroaded. Now maybe there's a bit of there because he may like Josh Rosen, but he's not going to be a person who's going to sign off because Michael Bidwell still listens to him, trusts him. And I think at least this is going to be a Cardinal decision. The Cardinals are going to have to ultimately make together because if there's one, if the GM is saying, Hey, I'm not on board with this quarterback that you're taking, I can't see the owner and Michael Bidwell signing off on it or it being a done deal. I don't see that being the case at all. So, and ultimately if, quarterback isn't good it doesn't matter whether oh it was Cliff's pick it wasn't me it kind would still hang as well if that's the case so for my take I think that it's kind of a balance the biggest question is if Steve Kime ultimately is making the decision to say I'm fine with giving up 
on all that we've invested into Josh Rosen because I believe that much in Kyler Murray that we need to make this move. And I believe in finding an identity, finding the guy that our head coach needs and then building around that, that he's willing to take loss ultimately on it. If that loss pays out, then we're going to be praising Kyle in two or three years saying, can you imagine like if they kept Josh Rosen, like if Rosen struggles to beat out Case Keenum next year in Washington because they keep Keenum or if there's even he becomes an average starter for the most part. If Kyler becomes a starter, even if they're both average starters, but Kyler obviously fits Kingsbury's model, I think that they'll at least be kind of praised for Kyim making the move because it is a difficult decision to make. So just to come back with it, I, I think ultimately we'll be able to know in another year or two, like if he gets let go, like a Scott McLuhan is not in a GM role again, or if it's kind of a remaking of the Arizona Cardinals, ultimately it'll prove itself. If Steve, and we talked even about this last year, we believe is Steve Kahn a bad GM who's gotten lucky or is he a good GM who's gotten unlucky? And we kind of were at the spot of we thought, hey, they, they knew they had to get a quarterback. They moved up. They got three wins as a result of a team that could have been 0-16. We're like, okay, we believe that Steve Kime, we, we think he's a good GM, though there's a lot of faults that come with it. And if he can learn and adapt and improve from those faults, then I think the Cardinals will be in capable hands moving forward. If there's still going to be the same misses and issues and errors, and ultimately you're going to be like, gosh, we're being held back by this guy, then I think that you're going to say that maybe he's the guy you need to move on from. So it's kind of a not a yes or a no question. I think there's a lot of gray area to it, and I think that most of that gray area will be resolved over the next two years because, as we said, John, this is essentially the second rebuild for a team in the last two years, and if this is an unsuccessful rebuild, then ultimately it means that Kimes Time's not the guy. If it is and the Cardinals start winning and turning around and things are electric in Arizona, then I think that the in kind we trust, it'll start coming back at least again for the most part because fans at least for the most part are, as we know, <laughs> ultimately forgiving when there's a winning product involved. Yeah, and I think the biggest mistake this franchise made was admitting to the fan base last season, or not admitting, but declaring that it wasn't a rebuild, it was a retool mm-hmm. where everybody else, outsiders saw you lose your head coach, you lost your quarterback, your first round picks aren't producing like, yes, you need to embrace the rebuild. And we thought they were going to do as much when they took Josh Rosen and and talked about handing him the keys to the franchise. And then they had the season they had, and they essentially put their rebuild on uh, the shelf uh, until this off season. And now you can really see them playing, hopefully the long-term game, not investing too much money in short-term free agents and talking about, you know, the benefits of, you know, five-year option or excuse me, four years and a fifth-year option for a rookie quarterback. So, Again, you, you, you're going to buy yourself an extra year when it comes to Kyler Murray in that regard. You've got an additional window now that you've since lost with Josh Rosen. So I, I think at the end of the day, this is this is the biggest – we've seen this. This is the biggest draft in Kimes' uh, tenure with the Cardinals, bar none. And I think it's, it's easy to discount him based on the amount of first-round picks he's missed on, but he's been with the franchise for a long time. And additionally, you have to look at, because I know Michael Bidwell does, you have to look at his win-loss record with the team. Uh, and outside of this past year, which was horrendous, he had one losing season in his tenure as GM. Now, that was with Bruce Arians, and, and, we, and we saw what happens when Bruce left. But he had one losing season, and it, it was 7-8-1. and one. So, theoretically, it was almost another 500 season. He won back-to-back-to-back double-digit games for the first time in franchise history. It was yep. the longest period of success they've ever had. And so I can see back-to-back Pro Football Talk GM of the Year in 2013-2014. I mean, he was – you have to admit, he was shrewd and successful in free agency. He hit on the right kind of draft picks. He made a couple of really nice trades. But, again, at the end of the day, we're seeing the lack of success mere the la- on the field mere the lack of success in the draft room. 
and that has caught up to him. And he doesn't have Bruce Arians to lean on anymore. So now he's picked his third coach. He's going to pick his, his third quarterback, in a sense, Carson Palmer to Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray. This is kind of Kime's last stand, but I, I do believe that they know this is a rebuild and they're going to give he and, he and Cliff at least two years. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And that second year will be fascinating to be able to watch. And we'll see how it goes. I will say this, at least as far as if you had a rookie head coach and a rookie GM, I think he would probably, we'd probably be a little bit even lower on the Cardinals for the most part, at least for a lot of those areas. And it'll really depend on getting the offensive line fixed and then how, how well they can do at the secondary. Cause you know, there's, there's a window that you have for David Johnson, Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones. And you got probably at least a, whatever we have left with Fitzgerald. We'll see how the Cardinals turn out. So as we end tonight, John, I got this question for you that we'll pause on, and that will be kind of interesting because we were looking at the schedule and kind of something I came up with off the air. Who is next year's Rookie of the Year? So if you think about that for a moment, you look at what the options are, and usually it's going to be an offensive player for the most part. It's usually not a defensive guy. Like usually, And even then, what would be an offensive Rookie of the Year? And for me, when I looked at him, like, there's not really a top-end, like, wide receiver that's, like, a clear-cut, like, an Amari Cooper that's out there this year for that one. There's not a top running back. There might not even be a first-round running back. And usually you never get the pick to a tight end. Usually it always goes to a rookie quarterback who plays really well. So if that's the case, who would be kind of the rookie of the year? And it, it seems like it very possibly could be Kyler Murray, especially if Locke goes to a team that's either the Broncos or later or has a veteran or if – you know, if the Bengals with Andy Dalton end up being a team that takes Dwayne Haskins, like is Kyler Murray potentially like going to be your rookie of the year? And does that have any impact on the Cardinals and their fortunes for the 2019 season? Uh, I think he, it will come out. He is absolutely going to be the favorite um, just based on the lack of name power, star power at the running back position. Those are usually the first individuals we go to receiver it's very hard to win their reward I can't remember the last time a receiver won it generally it's it goes to quarterbacks outside of this year a lot of people thought Baker Mayfield should have won it I, I think so too um so yeah I I would lean Kyler Murray I I don't discount and this is going to sound crazy to say but if if one of these interior offensive linemen plays well on a contender and you could see uh, you know a running game being spearheaded because for me Kyler has to be competitive and put up the stats and mm-hmm. I hope that happens but he can't go four and 12 and win rookie of the year because usually if he's if he's throwing for 3,500 yards and rushing for a thousand yards and he's got a great touchdown and interception ratio like wins are going to follow like he's got to he's got to get close to 500 for that to happen like Baker Mayfield sniffed that last year um, because you are the focal point of the offense whereas like a running back could go for you know, 1,500 yards, and the team could be terrible, and they could win it. So Yeah, that, I, was, I feel, that was like Saquon last year for that one. Yeah, he wasn't going to have absolutely. a rookie of the year compared to Baker, even if he had like a more – even if, you know, Baker didn't break the touchdown record, it wasn't going to go to Saquon. <laughs> I feel I feel like you're right. I feel like it is Kyler's to lose at this point. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, would, I, would, I would bet the field, of course. Uh, but I think he will be the Vegas favorite you know, into OTAs and camp this summer. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, well, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter at ROTB Pod. We always follow back on that account no matter what. Um, send us your questions, at least, either at us or, you know, you can use the hashtag AskROTBPod. Um, just like tonight, at least, you can be featured with one of our questions that John got from a, a faithful listener. So thank you so much for that. Um, make sure, again, you're tuning in on the rest of the podcast areas and Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, uh, I double-checked, at least, we've gotten some pretty decent, like – 
as far as with the ratings and review stuff, I haven't checked in in a while. So if you guys want to go and take care of that, that'll be awesome. Um, we'll see. We've been hoping to try to see about getting a special guest, guest in, at least potentially pre-draft. If not, we'll for sure have everything taken care of for you post-draft. And then that'll be kind of our post-draft breakdown and coverage. So make sure that you're following us on our Twitter accounts, at least, because we'll have plenty of reactions and highlights, at least when we're not watching the Avengers Endgame movie. <laughs> you know, that's something we talked about with John is like the craziness of uh, if Frozen ends up being, you know, essentially lasting on the Cardinals roster same amount of time as the Thanos is snapping all of that last for all those Marvel fans. It's, who are out it's there, nuts. So. Well, I also got my ticket. I told Blake this. I also got my tickets to Endgame uh, and for opening night, and I was really excited about it. And then I was like, oh, it's the first night of the draft, and I have to yep, get yep. on Fandango and re- reschedule these tickets. So, uh, but please, nobody spoil the movie for me. Thanks. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you just get one of, I downloaded like a little uh, Google Chrome extension block or something like that to block out some keywords. Wow, so that's really good. I was, I was I like, I was like, that. I'm going full out for that one. Like, I want to make sure I walk into the theater and not know anything for the most part. So that's what we're hoping for. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Go Cards. We'll see you on the other side of the draft.